We're going to be reading uh, today 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along there. If you don't, um, you can reach um, in front of you and get a pew Bible. It's going to be found on page 709. Page 709 in your pew Bible. It's 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his words were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him and does not love, does the love of God abide in him? My little children, little children let us not love the word, in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your word, and that we can learn from you. God, help us to not be merely hearers of the word, but God, to be doers. And just uh, speak through Pastor Chris this morning, and uh, just uh, open our ears and open our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. 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 All right. Well, that was just good, good singing. I was singing over here with the youth and over here in the music pit. I don't know what that's called, the pit, the corner, the den. What is that? I don't know, the corner. But man, the instruments, it was just great. Just good to be in the house of the Lord. Now, speaking of singing, let me segue into 1984. I'm a child of the 80s, so this is a great illustration to open up with. Tina Turner released in 1984 her most successful single of her spectacular singing career. And the song asked a very simple question, and you can say it with me, what's love got to do with it? And apparently, Tina's answer was not much. What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart? when a heart can be broken. That has always resonated with me. It's a profound statement. And unfortunately, Tina Turner knew firsthand what she was singing about. She knew from an abusive relationship with her famous husband, Ike Turner, that sometimes life and even marriage does not have a lot to do with loving one another. This morning, we want to borrow... Tina's question and ask this, assurance, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with being sure of our salvation? According to this little letter that the Apostle John wrote to the early church, the answer is quite simple and it's radically different than what Tina Turner sang about. What's love got to do with being sure of your salvation? Everything. It's got everything to do with it. Because why? Why does it have everything to do with it? It's one of four tests that John has in this epistle 
for us to test and discern whether we're truly born again, and they are the doctrinal test. Do I continue to believe in God's Son and His gospel, not just in the past, but am I continuing? The moral test, do I persevere in obeying God's law and following His standards, not just occasionally, but in a lifestyle pattern? The relational test is what we're looking at today. Do I keep on loving God's people, even when they're not easy to love? And then the chronological test. Am I abiding in these things, and will I abide in these things to the end? Well, far from being a second-hand emotion, assurance and loving one another is a God-given means of assurance. And so, in order to pass this love test, in order for you and I to grow in our assurance, and that's the point of this series, we need to realize that there's a lot of deception about what love is and a lot of defection from loving one another. In these last days, many are being deceived about what love is, and many are departing from loving one another as God's people. One of the main characteristics of these last days, according to the Apostle Paul, is this very idea of love being distorted and a lack of loving one another. If you turn there, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, keep your finger there and 1 John will come back, or keep your hand on the button, I don't know how to do that, but 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, listen to what John says, love is mentioned five times in this passage, and hate. Haters is mentioned once. But realize this, Paul says, that in these last days, these difficult and dangerous times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, Haters, not lovers, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, its power to change their lives. Avoid such men, such women, such people as these. You see, John wants us to understand in the passage that Kevin read, and we're going to study Two basic truths this morning, and here they are. True believers learn to discern the difference between the world's love and God's love in Jesus. We need to learn to discern the difference between those two kinds of love. And the first part of this passage, verses 11 through 15, help us with that. They're introduced by these words. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. You've, you, 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 you see the world's love, but you have heard of God's love in the gospel. The second principle is this. True believers learn to love one another with a true Jesus love. And that's the second half of the passage. Beginning in verse 16, John says, We know love by this, that He, true love, is discerned by knowing the true Jesus. So, how we love God's people has everything to do with our assurance 
of our salvation. So let's look at it today. Really basic, two basic principles. The first is this. God's people don't love one another like Satan's seed. God's people don't love one another like Satan's seed. I almost said Satan's spawn because it sounded more evil. And that's exactly the idea, his offspring. You see, verses 11 through 15 in chapter 3 set up a contrast between Satan's seed and God's seed, between Satan's offspring and God's offspring. In other words, how Satan fa Satan's family loves is radically different than how God's family loves. Remember last week's message, Who's Your Daddy? Well, what John is telling us in this passage is this. The best way to tell who your daddy is is how you love or don't love God's people. Who's your daddy is seen most of all in how we love or don't love one another as believers. Do you love like Satan's family, who are pictured in this passage like Cain, the very first murderer who killed his own brother because the devil was his daddy? Or do you love like God's family, who are pictured in this passage in the second half by Christ, Christ himself, the Son of God, who sacrificed himself to give us eternal life. He didn't kill someone. He allowed himself to be killed in order to give us eternal life. Do you, do you love like one who is still dead in your sins? Or in verse 14, do you love like someone who has passed out of death, you've crossed over into a new state, a new condition, and you love in a totally different way? Well, let me give you three reasons from this passage, why true believers don't love one another like Satan's seed. And here's the first one. Loving one another is at the heart of the gospel. Loving one another is at the heart of the gospel that every true believer has received in the person of Christ. Look at verse 11. For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, when you read that, this is the message we have heard from the beginning. You're talking about the gospel, the gospel that Jesus Christ proclaimed. And if you're not careful, you're going to say, oh yeah, the message we heard from the beginning, God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's right, John. John 3.16. That's what I heard in the beginning. And I hope you have. And I hope you did. And I hope you receive that love. But often we don't think of the gospel being love one another just as I have loved you. And yet this is exactly what he's saying. You see, the gospel that we have heard should have and does include John 13, 34 through 35. Here's what Jesus said on the night before he died. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And I'm like, Jesus, are you stuck? You said that three times. Love one another. Why do you think he said it so many times to those guys? Were they hard of hearing? No, but they were hard-hearted. They were like us. They were bent inward. And he wanted them to know, look, if you're truly my disciple, you love God's people.
people like I have loved you. There's no doubt that John heard this from the beginning. Look in our passage at verse 16. It's the other for John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Oh, that's good. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In fact, John will refer to loving one another many, many times. He's already referred to it in chapter 2, verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 1 John 3.10, the verse that leads right into our passage. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You realize that in these eight verses that Kevin read for us, loving one another is mentioned six times. John will mention it again as he moves on through the letter. In John, uh, 1 John 3.23, this is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected. It's reached its intended goal. And then verse 20 of chapter 4. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I read that for you because I want you to see the emphasis in God's Word. That the gospel at the heart of the gospel is God has loved us, therefore we love what God loves, and God loves His children. He loves His family. It's, the gospel is more than God loving us. It's us sharing that love with one another as a church, as a body, with other believers from other countries, whether they're in Mozambique or Argentina. It doesn't matter where they are, if they're the believers, in Jesus Christ, then we are to love them as God loved us. You see, we're big on God loving us, but we often forget that if we've heard this gospel, we're to love one another, even the hard-to-love ones. Now, I love this little ditty, to live above with the saints I love, oh, wouldn't that be glory? But to live below with the saints I know, now that's another story. Okay, don't look at anyone right now. Don't look at anyone. See, learning to live and love the saints here below is at the heart of the gospel. Having been born again by the love of God in Jesus Christ, we're to now show that love if we are truly born again in how we relate and reach out and meet needs for one another. You see, we have a new nature. It should be in your deep spiritual DNA if you're born again to love God's people to love being with God's people, and to reach out to them like God has reached out to you. In fact, this kind of love is not only impossible for unbelievers, they hate this kind of love. And that's the second reason why we should not love like Satan's seed. And here's the reason. Loving one another is hated by the world. Why do you spend time at church? Why do you hang out with them? Why would you want to do that? 
You see, loving one another is hated by the world. Look at verses 12 and 13, powerful. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. You see, who's your daddy is seen most of all in how we love or don't love one another as believers. Now, he mentions the story of Cain and Abel. This is found, of course, in Genesis chapter 4. This is the only time John refers directly to the Old Testament. It's the only time he mentions anyone's name other than God's in this letter. The story is the story of the very first two brothers that ever lived on this planet. Cain was the very first child born to Adam and Eve after they had sinned and after they had trusted God to redeem them from their sin. And yet, as all people do, every child that is born on this planet ever since has been born a sinner. The tragic story of Cain is that he was not only born a sinner into a believing family, but he remained an unbeliever. And he became notorious for being the first murderer. What's the point? The point is, apart from the gospel, we are all Cain's. Apart from the gospel, we are all born sinners in need of a sovereign Savior. Apart from the gospel, we all have Cain-like hate in our hearts for God and for the people of God and for the things of God. You see, apart from the gospel, we are all murderers by nature. And given the right set of circumstances and opportunity, the jealousy, the hate, the envy that's in the heart of every unbeliever would be acted out by any of us. By any of us. Because we know from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if we hate, if we hate. And he says, like, if you use the word rocket, like fool, I mean, you know, my family get a kid, you know, I, I, I'm guilty. I, I call people idiots on TV all the time. Well, he's an idiot. Let's change the channel. But you know what? Just that, just that level of hate is enough to condemn us. And given the right second circumstances, we wouldn't just be calling people stupid, idiots, nuts, crazy, whatever your favorite term is. We'd be acting on it. You see, we need to remember that even though, even though you say, well, I don't know about us. I mean, we're here at church, you know. But do you realize that even though Cain was an unbeliever in his heart, he still professed to be a believer in God, and he tried to worship God in his own way in Genesis 4? But God rejected the sacrifice, the act of worship that Cain offered because it was not brought by a heart of faith in God's promised Redeemer. But Abel, his younger brother, was a true believer, and his sacrifice was pleasing to God. And God in His love tried to warn Cain and said, Cain, 
Your heart is not right. Your gift is not acceptable. He tried to call Cain to repentance, but Cain refused to repent and went out and murdered his brother in the field. And then God, in his great love for sinners, even a murderer like Cain, came to Cain and graciously confronted him and said, Where is your brother? And Cain hardened his heart and said, Am I my brother's keeper? And God, who sees all, knows all, said, The blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. You see, why did Cain kill Abel? It was because Cain, according to verse 12, was of the evil one. He was a child of the devil. He was an unbeliever. And it says he was jealous and envious of his brother's right standing with God. Abel was a believer with an obedient faith, and Cain hated him for it, because in his heart, Cain hated God. And the devil's seed hates God and hates God's people. And God's seed loves God and loves God's people. In other words, the two nature of these two brothers is revealed in how they worshiped. One by faith in God and one by bringing his own works and in his own effort. They were... The true nature of these brothers were seen in how they responded to God. One came by faith, according to the book of Hebrews. The other refused to repent. They were, their true nature was revealed by how they treated one another. Say, uh, Cain murdered his brother. So, what John wants us to understand is this. If you and I think that we're going to go out in this world and love people to Jesus, and they're all going to love us for it, you're deceived. You're deceived. See, it's real popular today to say, boy, if we just be more, the problem is the church. And if the church would just get more loving, and hear me clearly, we need to be more loving, amen, of the lost, okay? But that's not today's message. Today's message is this, you can be as loving as Jesus himself, and the world's going to hate you. And you love them anyway. Remember those same crowds that flocked to Jesus are the same ones that cursed him, cussed him, and ultimately crucified him. And when they crucified him, you know what? Jesus was a bit surprised. Because the world hates the things of God, and the people of God. So, true believers don't love like Satan's seed. Why? Because loving God's people is the heart of the gospel, and loving God's people is hated by the world, and we're not of the world. And here's the third reason. We don't love one another like Satan's seed, because loving one another is how God gives assurance to His children. If you're truly born again, and, 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 and you know it, then your love for other believers will surely show it. Look at verses 14 and 15. We know, we know, we know that we have passed out of death and into life. We have left a whole stage and a condition and a character of death, and we are now in a new state with a new nature, and we are into life because we love the brethren. 
He who does not love abides in death. See, you, you can't say, hey, I've crossed over into belief, but I, you know, I love God. I just, it's his people that get on my nerves. Now, that's true. They do. I do. You do. We know that. But we love anyway. Why? Because we get on God's nerves and he loves us. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, some Bible teachers have been deceived into thinking that Cain very well might be a saved person. You mean there's people out there, Bible teachers, who are trained and should know better? Yes. A person who was born again. Why do they think this? Because they've reduced the evidence of being truly born again to a decision made in the past, regardless of what you presently believe about Jesus in the gospel, regardless of how you presently live in light of God's standard, and regardless of whether you love God's people like Jesus loved us. So because there's nowhere in Scripture that says Cain made a decision to trust Christ or trust the gospel message, they think Cain very well might be saved. Now what's wrong with this kind of thinking, church? Well, first of all, it sets aside the fourfold test of the book of 1 John. It sets aside that test. Secondly, it ignores what John and the other apostles, it ignores what the Bible says about Cain. John here says he's of, he's from the devil. That's not a believer. Jude lumps Cain in with other apostates condemned to eternal judgment at the second coming. The book of Hebrews implies he had no faith and remains dead in his sins, unlike his brother Abel, whose faith still speaks, though he is dead. Now, if you're following with me and tracking with me, and I hope you are, you might be asking this question, because I think this is a valid question. So is John saying if you ever murder someone or hate someone, you must not be born again? No, no. Believers can sin, and they do sin in some pretty big ways. Just ask Moses, who was a murderer. Just ask King David, who was a murderer. Just like the, ask the Apostle Paul, who before he came to Christ was a murderer. And yet the difference between these murderers and Cain is that when these men were confronted with the love and the gospel and the promise of a Redeemer, these men repented of their sins and they received a new nature. And they were born again into God's loving family. Did Cain do this when confronted? With the hate, jealousy in his heart? No. Instead, he went out and killed Abel. He went out and killed him. And then when God graciously confronted him, he lied to God about the act of his murder, and he tried to lie his way out of it. Well, maybe Cain repented later, and Moses never recorded it in the book of Genesis. Well, but First John doesn't say that. Jude doesn't say that. Hebrews doesn't say that. And in fact, if you go back to Genesis, Cain represents that beginning of the unbelieving line, and Abel, his younger brother, the believer, represents the believing line. So, you might be saying, is John saying unbelievers can never be loving? I think this is a real conundrum, I don't know, difficulty? Because I don't know about you, but I, I know a lot of loving, a lot of loving lost people. 
you? Do you? Do you? You know, just like believers can sin and do sin in some pretty big ways, unbelievers can love and love in some pretty big ways. But here's the truth of the gospel. That no matter how loving, and there can be heroic and sacrificial love performed by unbelievers, but unless they repent before their Creator unless they confess their sins before their Redeemer, unless they receive the God who is love, their sacrifice, their heroic acts are not good enough to redeem them. Because for every heroic act you and I might perform, there are many, many more hateful, selfish, envious, jealous, ugliness that pours out of our heart, out of our mouths, and sometimes even in our actions. And in this technological day, in a tweet, in a Facebook post, in social media. So what do we take from this? What's the bottom line? That even though the world hates us for it, and some may even try to kill us because of it, we love one another because it's one of the ways God gives you assurance that you're truly born again. You know, one of the beauties of being able to travel around this world and visit in other cultures with other believers is that you immediately, if you're a child of God, you immediately have a connection. Can I hear an amen? I can't talk to you, I don't understand you, you do weird things, but you're family. Amen? So, what's love got to do with being sure of your salvation? Well, it has a lot. True believers don't love like Satan's seed, and they don't love like Cain did, who didn't love God enough to repent, and who didn't love his brother enough to care for him, and instead killed him. So, instead of that, are you ready to move on from the negative to the positive? Yes! So, how do we love? Number two, God's people do love one another like God's Son. They do love one another like God's Son. So, let's focus now in your Bibles on verses 16 through 18. And let's read it again. Look at verse 16. We know love by this that He, you never know love until you look and know Jesus. That He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Wow, that's quite a standard, isn't it? But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children children of God, beloved children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Now, I just want you to go back in verse 16. How do we know love? How do we know love? That Jesus laid down his life for us. You see, I want you to get this morning that the full experience of God's love cannot be found outside of Jesus and the cross. It's not until we see Him 
high and lifted up. It's not until we see him bleeding for the sins of the world. It's not until we see God become man, come down to earth, that we might not perish, that we might not be haters, that we might not be killers with our words. Until we see him risen from the dead, then we, we will never fully experience what love is. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, I don't care how love-filled your life is, you have yet to really experience the greatest love of all until you step across the line and believe in Jesus. The bottom line is this. Even though Christ died for the sins of the world, it's only those who hear of His love and then turn from their sins to receive Him by faith that fully experience the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of God. And even if you're a believer today and you've embraced that love, do you realize Paul still prays, Lord, help them understand the love of God in Jesus even more. Listen to Ephesians 3. And you can turn there. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. We have so much to learn about the love of God that is in Jesus. Listen to what it says in verse 14. John says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth delivers His name. You see, He has a love for everyone. He has a love for the lost, John 3, 16. But He has a greater love for His own family and His own children. Because look at verse 16. That He would grant you, Ephesians, you believers, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Why do I need the strength of the Spirit? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and you being rooted and grounded in that love. The second you're born again, you're rooted and grounded in the love of God. But, listen, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. You can't reason this out. You can't get figure this out. You need spirit, divine anointing. You need the Word of God. You need prayer that you may understand, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I don't even have a clue what I just read. Anybody want to explain the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? I don't know, but I know I need to know it more. I need to experience in a deeper level, and I need to share it with you, with my wife, my family, my church, every believer. So, that's all wonderful and encouraging, but the greatest need today, the greatest need today among God's people is to not be deceived about what Jesus' love is really like. I am telling you the greatest threat to the church today in America is a distortion, a deception, and a defection from real Jesus' love. 
And so for the remainder of this, I want to give you five characteristics right out of this passage, five characteristics of real Jesus love. Young people at camp, the, the speaker talked about pocket Jesus, you know, that you can control. Just, you know, nice little pocket Jesus where I have him, where I want him. And then the real Jesus. Well, there's pocket Jesus love and then there's real Jesus love. So let's look at it. characteristic number one, true Jesus love is love for one another in particular versus a general love for everyone. See, too often when we come to these passages, we leave off the one another aspect. We say, we're supposed to love. We're supposed to love everyone. Well, we are, but we're supposed to really love God's people. You see, Jesus' love, real Jesus' love, doesn't blur the lines between unbelievers and believers. See, it's very common today, even among Christian teachers, and especially, basically, false teachers, to blur the lines between unbeliever and believer. You see, Jesus' love doesn't blur the line between heaven and hell. Jesus' love doesn't blur the line between eternal life and eternal death. Jesus' love doesn't blur the line between getting undeserved mercy and getting what we really deserve, eternal death. You see, Jesus' love, He has a love for the whole world, but He has a special love, a family love for those that He has called and He has sacrificed and the sheep of His own flock. You see, look at verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death and into life. See, there's a, a death, people in death, and there's people in life. And because we love the brother, and he who does not abide, uh, who does not love. So there's those that hate, and there's those that love. And then he says in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life. So there's, there's those that take life, and there's those that receive life. True Jesus love understands that eternal destiny is at stake and doesn't blur the lines. Jesus' love recognizes that God has a greater love, a family love, for His own people. You see, what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to be so loving to one another that when lost people see us together, they go, hey, I want in on that. Hey, I don't have that at work. Hey, I never had that growing up. Hey, that's not how my family, whoever my family is, I went in on that. And I can tell you personally, the number one reason I am in this pulpit, apart from God's grace, was experiencing the love of God's people in this church and saying as a 17-year-old, I want some. Now, initially, it's selfish. I want, who doesn't want to be loved today? <laughs> but as you come into the people of God and you see Christ is lifted up and the gospel is preached and you understand, oh, what I really want is Jesus. What I really want is His love. And I need to cross from death into life. I need to go from being an unbeliever to a believer. I need to go from one who is destined to hell to one who is guaranteed heaven. Wow. Amen. Amen. All right. 
just checking, making sure. I'll keep going. Number two, second characteristic, love that practices righteousness. Love that practices righteousness as a lifestyle versus accepting sinfulness. You see, we've gotten to a point where we've so distorted Jesus' love that we've begun to say Jesus, we begin to picture Jesus as though he would go to parties and celebrate sin. As though he would go to drinking parties and just be relaxed and say, I just love you. I just love you. Listen, Jesus hung out with sinners. And sinners wanted to hang out with him. But it didn't take long to hang out with Jesus before he said, repent of your sin. Come to me. Rise above your sin. I will erase your sin. I will give you a new nature of love. Don't love sin anymore. Love me and I'll give you a new heart. You see, Jesus' love does not celebrate, overlook, or wink at sin. Jesus' love does not celebrate and condone the sins of the unsaved, much less the sins of his people in his body. Jesus' love does not join in mocking God's holiness or his righteous standards for living in his kingdom. Jesus' love does not celebrate the breaking down of God's standards for marriage whether that be through sex outside and, or before marriage, whether that be sex with someone other than your spouse, whether that be sex with another gender, it doesn't matter. Jesus' love does not celebrate, does not applaud, does not approve. You see, Jesus' love practices righteousness. As a lifestyle. Listen to 1 John 5, verses 2 through 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome. Does obeying God's law, is it a burden or a joy? Real big indicator whether you're born again. Real big indicator. Third characteristic of real Jesus love is number three. Love that is born of God through faith in Christ and His Spirit versus our own failed efforts. The last thing I want you to do is leave here today trying harder to love difficult people. Did you hear me? The last thing I want you to leave here today is trying harder to love difficult people. What I want you to do is look to Jesus more this week. I want you to depend on the Spirit more this week because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy, peace. The fourth characteristic is this, love that is realized in Christ's blood atonement versus a crossless gospel. You see, it's gotten so bad today that we have what used to be Bible-believing pastors standing in pulpits saying that God is such a God of love, He would never punish His Son for the sins of others. Yes, you heard me right. See, we can get so distorted about the love of God, and we can get so, so mistaken about our sinfulness that we think there's a God in heaven who is holy, righteous, and just, and yet somehow He has His Son go to the cross, but it's not really to die for sins. It's not because we needed a substitute. It's not because God is, has a wrath that must be satisfied. No, God just loves everybody. Well, I'm sorry, that's a God of man's imagination. 
And that's not real Jesus love. Look again at 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life, that's sacrifice. For us, that's substitution. Now turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. By this is the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son in the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. The third word you want there is satisfaction. And so I have in your notes and on the screen... Here's real Jesus' love. Here's how real Jesus' love is realized. This is reality. His sacrifice for our sins on the cross. His substitution in our place. Taking what He didn't deserve because we deserved it and couldn't do anything about it. And His satisfaction of God's holy wrath. You add those three, th these three and you've got true Jesus love realized. You subtract any one of those and you have lost the real Jesus and the real love of God. Would you, would, would you recommit right now that I will not abandon the gospel? That I will not settle for a sentimental, syrupy, emotional, feel-good, easy-does-it love, but I will take that strong love of God that sees me in all my sin and would die for me and would stand in my place and receive eternal wrath. That's love. Amen? Who but an unbeliever would want to diminish that love? We sing it. We preach it. We live by it. And the fifth characteristic is this. Real Jesus love is a love that's lived out. Now, you know, John, John's gone from preaching to meddling. Because you see, real Jesus love isn't preached, just preached. It's practiced. You see, real Jesus love is not an abstract notion in a praise song or a secondhand emotion because you've been hurt and abused. Real Jesus love gets in where you hurt and brings healing. Amen. Real Jesus love gets in the gutter and feels your pain, but doesn't just feel it with solidarity, but brings the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ to give you hope in the resurrection and the new creation. You see, as one commentator said, what is not needed is religious rhetoric, but a looking out for the interest of others in a hands-on, hands-out way. Don't you like that? Hands-on, hands-out. Hands-on, karate kid moment, sorry about that. Heavenly love has an earthiness about it. Brotherly love is as tangible as a roof over your head, as edible as bread on a table, and as foundational as shoes on your feet. Let me give you three ways to put this 
this love, this real love into action. Number one, loving one another always, always involves dying to self for others like Jesus did. Amen? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, you might be saying, as I think of this, does this mean I have to be a literal martyr? And you know what the answer to that is? Maybe. In many parts of the world, the love for one another is shown by a willingness to die for the gospel. And not just the gospel, but for the brethren. But more often than not, loving one another requires a more subtler type of martyrdom that may be even more difficult than literally being killed. Guys, it's like giving up the control of the remote to your spouse. See, now I'm getting, I mean, that's real sacrifice, right? That's real love, right? Like sacrificing, relaxing on the couch to go out and play with your kids when you really don't feel like it or have a slight headache. It's like dying to self to use your Saturday to cut the church lawn and clean up the debris from a storm. It's like it's going out to an elderly person's yard, a believer, and cleaning their yard after a storm. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Dying to self in these little things make big differences in the lives of other believers. Number two, giving sacrificially to others like Jesus. Look at verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see, love always involves giving and not taking. Love always involves giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. And really, you know what's the most, most priceless commodity in our culture? It's time. It's increasingly becoming time. Time to serve the body in this church. Time and talents to greet and be on the greeting team. To be on the Promise Kids team. To be in the Kingdom Kids team. To be here on Wednesdays with the praise team. To use your time in the sound booth. I can't mention all the needs. But that's real Jesus love. It's the reason Bob McClure was buried in a bus jacket. See, it means giving our treasure so that believers in Mozambique Island, so believers in the mountains of Argentina can have a, a Bible and someday a church because we love and we give and we die to self. And number three, we meet needs of others like Jesus did. Let me close with this illustration. Shortly after World War II came to a close, Europe began picking up the pieces much of the old country had been ravaged by war and was in ruins. Perhaps the saddest sight of all was the little orphan children starving in the streets of those war-torn cities. 
An early one cold morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London, and as he turned the corner in his Jeep, he spotted a little boy with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. And inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of donuts. And don't you know, our church likes donuts. And the hungry boy stared in silence. And he pressed his nose to the window, drooling, watching the cook's every move. The soldier pulled his Jeep up to the curb, stopped, and he got out. And he said, son, would you like some of those? And the boy was startled and, and, and said, oh, yes, yes, I would. And the American stepped inside, bought a dozen, put them in a bag, walked back to the, where the boy was standing in the cold London morning. He smiled, held out the bag, and said simply, here you are. And as he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. He looked back, and he heard the child say quietly, Mr. Are you God? Mr. Are you God? You see, it's in the little things. It's in the meeting of the needs when it's within our resources to meet them. And I don't know about you, but I think we all need to ask. I know me. Has anyone mistaken me for God lately? Has other believers mistaken me for God in the way that I have really loved them? You know, the early church was known Here's what unbelievers said about the early church. But it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon them. In other words, persecute. See, they say, how they love one another. For they themselves are animated, for unbelievers are animated by mutual hatred. See, they say about us, how they are ready even to die for one another. For they themselves would just as soon kill one another. So let me end today with a real simple question. How's your love life? I met with Joy Fellowship this week and I asked them that question and they laughed. But I said, we'll talk about a different love life. How's your love life? How's your love life? Who do you need to love in our church more than you have? How have you been deceived by the world's distortion of love? Young people, it's in our music, it's in our entertainment, it's a shallow, syrupy, false love. What is the Spirit leading you to do in order to be more loving towards God's people this morning? I know He's spoken to me. I pray and hope that He has spoken to you. And most of all, have you passed from death into life? Have you received the fullest, best love that will be an eternal love? There's a line on your notes that says, to improve my love life, here's what I'm going to stop doing, or here's what I'm going to start doing. As the musicians come, as the musicians come to play, here's what I want to ask you to do, is as they play, fill in that line. Fill in that line. What are you going to start doing? What are you going to stop doing in order to better love God's people? With your heads bowed and as the musicians come, Lord, you have been so gracious to us, and we are so privileged and we have so much. But Lord, how often we have closed our hearts to one another. Lord, as a church, we repent. We repent of growing cold like the church of Ephesus. 
Old things may be believed right, taught right, preached right, but Lord, have we lost our first love? Have we forsaken the things that we used to do? And we've grown apathetic, cold, and we've closed our hearts. Lord, renew in us a right spirit. Shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit a new understanding of your love. And may we write something and do something to show and grow in our assurance of salvation as the musicians play.